Thank you, Pastor Morford, and it's good to be back here again tonight. Thank you for coming in on a Wednesday night, and we wondered about the ice. Now, I'm from the land of ice and snow in a, another world called Michigan, so I understand these things, and uh, we've only had three Wednesday night prayer meetings this year because we've had so much ice and snow, and um, most of Michigan, actually, a couple of weeks ago, was act, all of Michigan was shut down. Matter of fact, the post office didn't even run. Um, <clears throat> And that particular day, my wife decided to make homemade um, turkey pot pies and um, chili, and she sent me out to all the shut-ins in the church, and she said, don't forget your snow shovel. I had, I had a blast calling that day. Uh, here I'm running around. I'd bought myself one of those Russian hats, you know, that come down like this, and a great big parka. And I, I mean, I, I was equipped. I was equipped. I was running around. I'd show up to doors and if I need to shovel a walkway and I'd hand them the pot pies and everything. I have a friend there that's pastoring a fairly good size Westland church. He grew up Pilgrim Holiness at Clinton Camp, uh, Clinton Camp in, near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, I stopped in looking like that. And he goes, Tucker, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm out. I said, well, if you were as spiritual as I am, you'd be out be making pastoral calls. But... <clears throat> I said, but the real truth is you're the only place open for me to go to the bathroom, so here I am. And so, <laughs> yeah, thankfully, he saw the humor and all that and uh, everything. And, um, <clears throat> a couple of things I, I want to say right from the start. Thank you for making me feel so comfortable. The Morfords are doing a beautiful job of it. You have a wonderful setup over there for uh, guest quarters and the meals that have already been brought in. Uh, everything. And today was the first time in the 12, 14 years we've known each other that I heard your pastor speak. I've never heard him speak. Uh, so I, I was able to hear him today at the school, and uh, <clears throat> that, was a, that was a joy for me and a privilege. Um, let's see, I was going to tell you something else. Oh, I did need to tell you before I start preaching, I really do. I, I so wish I could have brought my wife with me, but you understand She's down there in Oklahoma City uh, with the grandkids, and understandably so. Um, <clears throat> a few people found out last night after the service that I've, I'm almost, I'm, a, I'm just about ready to graduate again, um, which I'm quite accustomed to since I went through kindergarten five times, but anyhow, um, <clears throat> so I know how graduations work. And um, from Hope Sound Bible College, because what you heard last night uh, eventually propelled me, motivated me to want to find out some some answers. I believe in holiness, and uh, I really I do, and I have no interest in preaching uh, psych terms to you. We don't have enough time for all that. But what I've been doing these last three years. And by the way, I just completed my, my last class last week. And I'm, I've been doing my internship at a counseling center, a Christian counseling center, since last summer, working with teens and single parents. And uh, it's, it's a blast, actually, because the director oftentimes turns the parent support group over to me, which is dangerous. And uh, here's why I'll tell you it's dangerous, because when you turn something over to me, I'm going to do it my way. Okay, and if I do it my way, I'm going to have a little bit of fun with it. And here we had some brand new clients come in. For whatever reason, 
the, um, the director of the counseling center decided to sit in on it because these new clients, and she goes, now, Pastor, she calls me Pastor Nate. Pastor Nate, would you like to introduce yourself? And uh, she goes, matter of fact, let's all do this. She, she's kind of interesting the way she talks with him. Let's all come together. And let's, let's tell, let's use the title of a song that describes where we're at in life as a metaphor. Okay. And everybody else is going around, the other clients who are there, the, the people there to uh, benefit from the support group. And finally she came to me and says, now, Pastor Tucker, would you like to introduce yourself and tell what kind of a song, what song comes to your mind? And I thought, Okay. <laughs> And I said, well, I'm Pastor Tucker, and I'm here doing my internship, da 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 And I said, I've just completed my last class. And, uh, you know, they were kind of doing this little thing. And I said, and in two weeks, I'm so excited because I actually get my ankle bracelet off from the, you know, the police. And the director looked at me, and I picked my leg up above the table and pulled my pants leg up and went, yeah, psych, you know, like that. So, it, uh, so I tend to have a little fun. She goes, all right. She goes, now what's, remember this thing, now what song describes your life? And I said, well, the way things are going here lately, the only song that comes to my mind is I've got friends in lowly places. So, <clears throat> but it, uh, and she went, I went, psych. <laughs> so yes, I can have a good laugh. And, uh, but my life has not always been full of laughter. I described to you last night, there's been times of pain. And typically when I speak to a group of people, I have learned that if I were to hear your story, your individual story, at some point, maybe there's been a time that there was physical illness. And it wasn't, it wasn't something that you sat down, you said, you know, I think, I think next month on the 15th would be a great day for the doctor to tell me you have cancer that's incurable. None of us do that. Or <clears throat> I certainly never put into my calendar, boy, today would be a great day to have my daughter struck by lightning. You know, I would, I would never write something so ridiculous in a calendar. Years ago, my wife was bit by a tick and she had a full-blown case of Lyme disease for 18 months and uh, she was bedfast. She was partially paralyzed. We've been, th we're a really dangerous family to hang around. I'm, I'm just saying, just be careful. You know how long you hang around this weird stuff happens. I remember a time that all three of my children, when I was pastoring in Erie, Pennsylvania, at a church of about a, of 90 to 120, all of a sudden all three of my children got scarlet fever. Who gets scarlet fever nowadays? And we were quarantined for a month. Weird stuff. I mean, just bizarre stuff. And you, things that you don't hear of. Uh, lightning strikes. We defy the odds. I'm going to tell you that much right now. My family defies the odds. But coming back to my wife, I, I really wish I could have brought her tonight because, uh, one, she is one of the most godly ladies I've ever known in my life. And I so appreciate her. I, I love her. Um, I love her because she's put up with me. And that, that's saying much, Okay. Um, I suppose some of the spinoff of learning counseling practices and concepts, I tend to be a prankster as much as she is, but I'm probably more so. I'll give you an example before I start preaching. 
And that is, <clears throat> one day we had to go to Sam's Club. We had two carts because at our church we were going to do a large function. And I mean, those carts were heaped. And as we pulled up, up to the cashier, the cash register, I looked at the cashier and I, with enthusiasm, I said, I am so excited. And she goes, oh, really, sir? Why is that? I said, my wife just graduated from anger management class and we're celebrating. And then I walked away and I went to the restroom. <laughs> Left her standing there. And I kind of looked over my shoulder and my wife was looking at me like, I will kill you. <laughs> I, knew, I know the look, okay? I did come back. And when I came back, I came back with the same amount of excitement and enthusiasm. And I looked at the cashier and I said, how'd she do? Did she get angry? And she went, no, no, no. I said, oh, good, thank the Lord. And, you know, so that's the kind of stuff I do to my wife. And do I feel bad about it? No, no, I do not feel bad about it. But, well, let's come to the, uh, let's come to the reason why we're here tonight. <clears throat> I, I would like to do part two of this, if I might. Could we just stand together for a moment as we look at the Word of God this evening? Now, I have my Bible open here, but I think that what I'm going to choose to do, you may open your Bible or your smartphone, however you do it here. Uh, I'm going to read it right, right here from the wall. Uh, for those that are listening in, by the way, the podcast is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. It gives us these words, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And I have this, I've made these words bold and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Let's pray. Father, Lord, tonight I acknowledge my dependence upon you. I acknowledge, dear Lord, and, and gratefully ascribe to you the praise of all the help that you have given to me in my life personally. I pray tonight that God the Holy Spirit would come among us and that you would take the words that are spoken this evening, apply them to every heart as we have need. And Lord, when this is done, we want to give you the praise and the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're not going to do all this review, but uh, <clears throat> last night I, I gave great emphasis to these five, what I call the five catastrophic questions. I understand that not all people will have those questions, but here's what I'm finding out. Uh, wherever I go, somebody has encountered a couple of these. Maybe not in the exact word or phrase, but they've encountered the thought, they've thought these, these same things that, because they've, they've encountered something in their life that honestly, it shook their faith. It, it caused them to wonder about themselves in relation to God, themselves in relation to others. And quite frankly, they, they kind of, it's caused them to wonder about them own selves of how they feel and are going to interact and react and what do I do with this? I mean, let's take, for instance, just forgiveness. We know that the Word of God tells us to forgive in order to be forgiven. But all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a conflict. 
not because we desire to push against it, but someone has done us wrong and we would like, we would like to have a sense of justice to where this situation would change, would change but the other person doesn't change and they continue doing what they're doing or they see no need to apologize for it. They don't see the problem of the hurt that they just caused you. And it was deep, deep pain. I'm not talking about a little scratch the surface issue. I'm talking about it really, it really did some damage to you. And they wrestle and they struggle in their heart and mind. I'm talking about people who are one, saved. They know that they've been forgiven. I'm talking about people who know that the Spirit of God dwells within. There's no question about it. You can, want, you can see the fruit of their life, the evidence of their life. These are saved, Spirit-filled Christians who maybe have walked with the Lord uh, for any length of time. And oh my, it's, the, the issues are huge. And all of a sudden, they have to begin to make decisions. How am I going to react to this person? But what am I going to do to them from my own heart, from the private thoughts. What do I do with this? And uh, I, I really had to process through those things. But the beautiful part about this, I, I gave you these five questions that I had to struggle with. Are God's people when the, good when they hurt you? Let me just try to very, very briefly qualify these questions. God's people are good, but not if they hurt you intentionally on purpose to damage you. Because if they're doing it to damage you, they're certainly not coming under the definition of good, functioning as God intends. God has never called for anyone in the body of Christ to hurt any other member in the body of Christ. Do we all understand that? I don't care what their title is. I do not care what their profession is. If you, if I, as a brother in Christ, have designed on purpose, I will hurt you to get my own way. I am not good. And that is a sobering thought. Because there's a many a person within churches and places of ministry who hold titles, positions, make professions, who continue to hold the titles, who continue to make the professions, and they have hurt people. Now, there are times when we hurt each other unintentionally. We had no clue we did it. It certainly wasn't our motive. And you say, well, are they good? That's a whole different issue. And you, will, you and I will tend to work with people like that, but it's the ones who, who are on purpose hurting us that we find great difficulty with. Amen? Let, let that, I'll say it like this, Sila, pause and think about that. Is, a tr- is the church good when it abuses or neglects you? I'm going to say the same thing again. If a church abuses you or purposely neglects you, how can it be good? How can it be functioning as God intends? The church of Jesus Christ and the local assembly of the church is designed to edify, nurture, and build us up in the faith. Do we ever need to call sin, sin? Absolutely. Absolutely. But can we speak the truth in love? We are commanded to do so. 
I've sat under some wonderful preaching in my life. I've sat under some very abusive preaching in my life that at times brought me into confusion. And quite frankly, I have no desire of being confused. I do a very good job of doing that to myself, thank you, and I don't need your help being confused. I'm very good at confusing myself. And maybe you're good at it too, I don't know. But, uh, <clears throat> but sometimes people, sometimes churches, churches have felt very strong about a situation or an issue, and if they're not careful, they'll run over the very people that they're trying to help. They may not do it intentionally. So I'm making a distinction here. If that is hard to process in your theology, it was, it was very difficult for me to process all this. But I'm just telling you the conclusions I'm arriving at. The third question is the word of God good. That's in the context of everything that was happening to me. I began to question, does God's word mean what it says. You know, that's the oldest trick in the book that the enemy has used against humanity. Clear back in the Garden of Eden when he says, yes, but has God said? The enemy always wants you and I to question the goodness of God. That's where he wants to take our hearts and minds. I chose to resist that. Thank the Lord that I did. Had I not, I wouldn't be here tonight. I can tell you that much. So is the word of God good? Always, always. I knew that, but I needed God to define it for me as in, because the word of God always functions as God intends, amen? Matter of fact, the word of God is so good, the Bible says of itself, the law of the Lord is perfect. You cannot improve upon it. You cannot make one of the 10 commandments better than what they are. They're perfect. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. And just because I didn't mention the other ones tonight is not, is not because I don't believe them, but you get the point. The word of God is so good, it's perfect. It always functions as God intends. But the enemy wanted to bring me to question number four, well, you know what? If God is so good, why is he allowing all these things, as I described to you last night, why is he allowing all this to happen to you? I want to tell you something this evening. I've learned from scripture that there actually is a theology of biblical suffering, and that is we can have fellowship with Jesus Christ in suffering. And we learn some things about God that we never, ever learn until we suffer. And that's not a popular message because I, I can tell you tonight, I'm not a health, wealth, and prosperity preacher. I, I can tell you that much. Because I intend to serve God if I have good health or if I have bad health. I, I intend to serve God tonight with his help, whether I have money to pay the bills or I don't have money to pay the bills. Whatever way it goes here, uh, <clears throat> I intend to serve God regardless of whatever, whatever it takes with his help and to make it through, amen? <clears throat> but then that fifth question, am I good for even thinking these things? Am I even good for questioning God? Well, guess what? I'm not the first one who's done it. 
You're probably not the first one that's done. If you were honest tonight, there, have been, there may have been some times in your life when you went, I'm not really sure about the goodness of God. I know he says he is. I know the word says he is. I know we sing songs like God is so good, but where is God when I hurt? Because there was the low, one of the lowest places that a Christian can go in their experience. And some of us get there is we no longer know how to pray. And I have been in that place a variety of times, not only with my daughter, but with myself. But the beautiful part about that, God even has that issue covered in his word. Because he has said in his word, we do not always know how to pray. But the spirit makes intercessions with groanings for us. Isn't that a beautiful thought tonight? When we no longer know how to pray because it's too painful to pray, or we're at such a loss of words to know how to pray, the Spirit of God says, I've got your back. I've got this covered. I know what's going on in your heart. I know the heart of God. I know how to bring this together. I know the circumstances in which you have just found yourself. But it's okay, son. It's okay, daughter. God you know the beautiful part about it? God always answers the prayer of the Holy Spirit. He's, the Holy Spirit has never had an unanswered prayer that I could ever find. Amen? And he is praying for you. In addition to that, Jesus says, I am going to be seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for the saints according to the will of God. What is the will of God? For us to function as he intends. Amen? I don't know what that does for you tonight, but I'm telling you this changed. This, this became the lifeline for my own personal life. Well, <clears throat> you say, well, Pastor, how, or Brother Tucker, how could, how could we change the way we think? Uh, how could we transform those patterns of thought? I mean, how do we bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ? How do we do that? I love it that my son is a Michigan State trooper, and there have been times that I have ridden along with him. I love to watch him arrest people. It's so much fun. Because <laughs> he knows how to do it so well. Um, one night, one night, he and I were sitting at the end of the expressway that comes in. We have two uh, expressways that come into our little, t our, our little city. And one night my son said to me, Dad, uh, let's, let's tuck back here because people always blow that light. I went, okay. We're sitting there. We're in that state trooper car and it will go fast. Very fast. Did I say it will go fast? I mean, it will go fast. And uh, all of a sudden... My son sat there going, dun, 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 dun. Sure enough, a car went through, and he's doing this. I mean, we were burning rubber. We are leaving smoke. The lights flip on, and it was like, it was as good as any church service I've been in. You put your hands in the air, and it's more fun, people. I'm just telling you. Okay. I've learned a little something by way of illustration and object lesson my son, my son placing some people under arrest. It's not up for negotiation when the handcuffs go on. 
You go tell that to the judge. He's not the judge. I'm just here to arrest you. We'll let the judge and the jury and the court and whatever other due process of law that there is take care of the issue and the, what's going on in your life. But I'm taking care of what you just did in the infraction of the law. Did you know we could use such an object lesson tonight that when the enemy comes in like a flood, which he does, all of a sudden we have the power. God has given us the capacity in our heart and mind to, so to speak, put the handcuffs on the thought and say, you are under arrest. Go tell it to the judge. Amen? And we haul that thought off that is contrary to the will of God. And we say, Lord, what do, how do you want to process this? And God looks at the issue and says, that thought is not in accordance to my will, throw it in jail. Amen? Can we, can we borrow that object lesson tonight? And I've visited many a prison, many a jail, so I, I get that. But God promises spiritual freedom if we think about his word day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. How do we know what to place under arrest if we do not know the word of God. We don't know the difference between right and wrong until the word of God shows us the difference between right and wrong. So let's look at a, a few ways. I'm only gonna deal with maybe two or three tonight. I want to save the fourth point maybe for tomorrow night. And there's a very, very specific and a special reason why. How do we change our mind? Do we know the fundamentals? Number one, can we learn to turn thoughts into conversations with God? Can we do that? I didn't always share all my thoughts with God. Matter of fact, I thought, mm, I don't know if I want to talk to him about that. But I've learned to turn thoughts into conversations with God. Why? Because he already understands my thought afar off. He already know, but here's the question I have. Why are we choosing to share some thoughts with God and withhold others? As if he won't deal with it, he's not interested in it, he doesn't have enough time. You say, well, pastor, that's it. You know, I'll tell you what just came into my mind. It's embarrassing. I still have learned to talk to God about it. It's like, oh, Lord, I have no clue where that thought just came from. I'm not comfortable with it. Would you please show me how to deal with this? And God says, I'm glad you asked. I would be happy to assist. You say, well, God never talks to me like that. God has to talk that plain to me. I'm just, okay, I'm a simple person. I get simple concepts. I've learned to turn those thoughts into conversations with God. I, boy, I've done it in some amazing places. I love, I, I love and appreciate the fact that many a church still has an altar. Never be afraid of it. Never be afraid of it. I've, heard, I've actually heard people preach about people that, uh, that um, ride the altar to heaven, and I think I know what they mean, but you know what? This is not a place I fear. Amen? I don't mind giving an invitation to come pray at the altar. It's still a wonderful place to do. But this thing doesn't fit in my pocket. And I've had to make altars, so to speak, when I'm driving down the road behind the steering wheel. I've had to make altars when I, in my own heart and mind, when I'm in the middle of a crowd. I've had to make altars when I'm all by myself. 
I've made an altar sometimes out of the pillow that my head was lying upon. I've made altars in all kinds of places, under all kinds of situations, for all kinds of circumstances. And I've learned to take those thoughts to God and say, Lord, here's what it is. Now, some of them are really good. And once in a while, the Lord even looks at me and goes, yeah, it's kind of good, but nah, no, you don't need that one. All right, Lord. And I'm telling you, I've learned to surrender those thoughts. Okay, Lord, it's yours. You, you, now, you now take ownership of it, do whatever you want to with it. I'm releasing these thoughts to you, Lord. You take over. Oh, it's freedom. I'm just telling you, it's freedom. Let's go a little further with it. Uh, let me give you a couple examples. Here's an example of a couple who did not take their thoughts to the Lord. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. They did not take their thoughts to God. When we do not take our thoughts to God, we find an alternative. The alternative is usually we hide and we conceal. As if God won't find us. Huh. We all know how that story turned out. And I'd look at them and say, how'd that turn out for you? We're all products of two people who chose not to take their thoughts to God. And quite frankly, you will do damage to other people if you do not learn how to take your thoughts to God. And then you act upon those thoughts. It's a sobering thought, is it not? Let me give you an example of a man who did take his thoughts to God. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. We know the passage, right? John chapter 3. This man had some thoughts, and he brought them to Jesus. I love how Jesus addresses all that. You know, one of the things I've found out is we are actually capable of arguing with God. I don't know how that flies in the thought of us who are conservative, who say that we're saved and sanctified. One of the things I will tell you is I've been told on numerous occasions that it is not a godly thing to ask God the question, why? But I will remind you that Jesus Christ himself, in the hour of his deepest pain nailed to a cross, he said it not once, he said it twice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let that sink in. And I'm not above Jesus. Neither are you. But I'm trying to be like Jesus, and once in a while I actually ask God, why? Why, Lord? I want to understand. You say, I've heard some people argue with the Lord, and they got things going on in their life, and boy, I'll tell you, they're reacting, they're pushing back, they don't like it, they don't like the injustice, and ugh, I'll tell you, they're not, they're not carnally mad, at least they say they're not, and we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt, but boy, I'll tell you what, you better not do that to them again. Mm. 
Um, my wife is one of these people who she knows how to put me in my place. She's one of the few people who know how to put me in my place. Because there's just been some times that I've done some, I've went a little too far with the pranks. Like one time I got into bed and she only has one spot that's ticklish. I happened to touch it. She, she went, knock it off. Now when she grits her teeth, I know she means business. She went, knock it off. I went, really? She goes, yes. Okay. So I got out of bed. I picked up the side of the bed and I rolled her out onto the floor. That is not a marriage enhancement move. <laughs> Don't do it. The next day, things were tense. I looked at her and I said, I love you. I said it with meekness. I said it with trembling. I said it with trepidation and fear. I said, I love you. And she looked at me and she says, I will always love you. Some days I do not like you. Why are the women in here going, amen? I can see some of you nudging. Mm -hmm. For those on the podcast, you ought to see what these women are doing. I mean, this message is getting through, folks. It just, at least this point of it. (laughs) Some people come up, be a little careful. Well, that's just the way I am. I'm used to getting my own way. Okay. Or I was born this way. I want to just offer you something. That's what Jesus said. (laughs) You must be born again. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm not passing any judgment, but I'm... you, You got it, didn't you? Yes, you did. Number two... Those thoughts come, can we expose and examine troubling thoughts to God's word? Can we get the facts? Scripture says in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And let me just try to highlight by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that, does anybody notice that word? What is good, functioning as God intends, and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Romans 12, 2. I got to looking at that and here's something I learned. The word proved in that verse that you may prove, you see it right there, that you may prove what is that good. I've learned that the word prove means testing metal with heat and stress. You put it to the test. And I thought of Jeremiah 23, 29, where God said, Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Hmm, heat and stress. Wow. You ever, I don't know if you've ever seen what happens when they temper steel. You temper steel with heat. You make it resistant to stress. It will take great amounts of stress where previously having not gone through the fire, steel, many steels are brittle. They will break, they will crumble, they will crack. They will not hold up under the pressure. But when they have been put through the heat treatment, that's what they call that, 
all of the sudden this piece of steel that might, and I'm, gonna do, I'm just going to use a ridiculous number, that might have cracked under 100 pounds of pressure may now take up to 1,000 pounds of pressure per square inch. Changes everything. Changes the molecular structure. And God says, I want you to prove, I want you to learn to think in such a way that when the stress is on and the heat is on and you're feeling under the burden of what's taking place, when it's done, you're not going to crack. You're not going to crumble. Because you have learned how to function as I intend. And when you function as I intend, that is what is acceptable to me. And that is my perfect will. God is in the business of having victorious saints. But he often has to take us through the fire and put us through the heat treatment. Wow. I learned several years ago the difference between the circle of control and the circle of influence. This concept was introduced to me and I'd never heard it before. I'll very quickly point out a few things. There's some things I have no influence over. I wish I could influence the price of gas, don't you? Wouldn't that be a blessing? If you know how to do it, please tell me. I will put it into practice. If I can lower the price of gas, I would do it. I do not, I have no control over the weather. None. I live in Michigan and I feel like I'm back there again with all this weather. I, I came here thinking it'd be warmer, okay? But I'm just telling you, I, I, the only thing I can even come close to influencing in an election is one vote among millions. So, eh, not a lot of influence there. I, I, I can't control terrorists. You know, if I could, I'd be the wealthiest man on the planet. Just saying. So that, that's out there in the far perimeters of the circle of no control. I have absolutely no control. But I do have a circle of influence. That circle of influence, I can tell you right now, uh, I, have a, I have a circle of influence with my immediate family. I have a circle of influence in the church that I pastor and the places that I speak. I do have a circle of influence in my community and it's growing. And I have a circle of influence with some of my friends. But guess what? I cannot make my children want to serve God. I cannot control their choice of either serving Jesus or not serving Jesus. And guess what? Neither can you. Be careful when there have been some very godly laymen and some very godly pastors and their wives and their ch not all their children turn out the way they even wanted and you think, boy, where'd they fail? One, they're human, just like you are. Two, they did everything that they know. But the child, the individual, all of us still have an individual choice. Amen? Let's remember that. So... I can't. Matter of fact, God has made it very plain in his word, I am not the boss of the church. He says he's Lord. I'm just an under shepherd here to nurture, 
to protect, to feed, to lead, to guide, to heal, to correct. If maybe there might be some occasions where I need to correct, but I'm just the under shepherd. I'm not the boss. I have no idea the history of your church or the present conditions. And board members are not the boss of the church. And when they think they are, you're not in a biblical place of understanding. I do not expect to be amen on that, but it is the truth. And if you happen to be the one that has, you contribute more money to a ministry and you say to somebody, if you don't do it my way, I'm leaving and taking my money with me, you have no understanding, no understanding of what it is to be a part of the body of Christ. And I will not apologize for what I just said. God never called you to be a bully with your money or your talents, amen, or your influence or your, your personality. God never called you to be a bully. I'll tell you the one, there is one thing I can control though. Tucker. Words, thoughts, and actions. Nobody can make me think anything. Nobody can make me do anything. Nobody can make me say anything unless I choose and give consent and say, yeah, I think I will think that way. Yeah. I, I, think I, I think I will act that way. I think that I will, mm, yeah, I'll just, I'll go there with my words, my thoughts, and my actions. And what Nathaniel Tucker, by the help of God, is trying to do is I'm trying to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Because I want to think the way he thinks and act the way he acts and talk the way he talks. Amen? Did you know the more you control others, the smaller your circle of influence becomes? It shrinks. Look at this. The more you control yourself, the larger your circle of influence grows. Because when people see you going through the heat, when they see you going through the stress, when they see you going through the pain, when they see you going through the injustice, when they see you going through things where you did not get the way that you had hoped for or the expect expectations that you were desiring and you still have a sweet attitude about it and you can still talk about it in a godly and a gracious way, people look at you and go, boy, I have no idea how he's doing that, but I wish he'd tell me. I wish he would teach me. If I ever go through anything like that, I hope I react like he does or she does. Amen? Amen. I'm going to skip past this. Last of all, act upon the principles and the promises of God's word. God validates our actions when we believe his word. Let me illustrate this. The healing of Naaman. 2 Kings 5.14, so he went down and he dipped seven times on the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. You all remember the story behind, before this? He was told, just go on down, wash up. And he goes, are you, are you kidding? Back home, I mean... <clears throat> We have aqua fresh waters, people. They want me to do what here in this church? Go to the altar? Really? Sure, why not? 
That river became an altar for this man where his life has changed forever. And so finally, somebody had the sense and they said, you know, if he would have asked you to do a hard thing, you would have done it. But it's a real simple thing. All you have to do is just dip seven times. Does anybody ever remember old brother Archie Atwell? Oh man, I loved one of his sermons. It was called Seven Ducks in a Muddy Puddle. I loved it. It was about this right here. And the only way that he could ever preach that kind of a message, that was the title of his message, Seven Ducks in a Muddy Puddle. But this man acted upon the word of God and God validated his actions. I think of another one. Jesus said to another person, Zacchaeus, I like Zacchaeus, the wee little man. He's nothing like me, nothing. But what I love about this particular this, uh, this story in the Bible, it's the one time, it's the only time I ever get up on a pew in a church and stand on the pew. You're looking at me like, is he going to do it? Yeah, okay, since you invited me, yes, I will. All right, so <clears throat> you know the story. He's a little guy, he wants to see Jesus, but people are in the way. Have you ever noticed how much people get in your way? I mean, really, when you want to do something spiritual, people get in your way, you know what I mean? Hey, if I fall, will you catch me? <laughs> this man has great faith, I'm telling you right now. I love the way the story materializes. Jesus stops, looks up. It's one of the few times in Scripture where God is looking up to man. But it's only because of proximity. And he says, come down. Hurry, quickly, come down. Make haste. I'd like to eat at your place today. Wow. And when you know the story, this is big stuff. And there's a, I don't know the context of how you use the word party, but I don't mean it in a, in a drunken revelry. This man throws a huge party in the honor that Jesus is in the house. People, if I can use this language and you won't be offended, it's okay to throw a party when Jesus is in the house, okay? You understand how I'm just using this? And I think the music is playing and the servers are serving and people are eating and there's chatter and all the, all the wonderful things that happen when people are together. And I can see Zacchaeus going, clapping his hands and can I, can I just get everybody's attention? The music stops. The chit-chat dies down. All eyes are now on him. And he says, Lord, he says, I, I've made a decision. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make restitution. I'm going to give back what is stole and I'm going to multiply it and I'm going to become a blessing. Up in Michigan, the way people talk is different in different parts of the country. Up in Michigan, the way folk up there talk is they'll start to say something that they really, they really mean and they'll say like, they'll get up in the church and say, I, I, I love Jesus. Yeah. And it stops right there. And, we, we, and we're all like, praise the Lord. We know exactly what you mean. And I think Zacchaeus, if he was a Michigander, would go, Lord, I, I'm going to take care of everything I've ever stolen. I'm going to make restitution. I'm going to make it really good. And I'm going to take care of this. Um, yeah. 
Now Jesus has the floor. And he said, you know what? This day, today, this man changed his heart. And since he changed his, or since he changed his mind, I'll change his heart. And when you change your mind and you decide to do it God's way, he'll change your heart. He'll change your life. Jesus said, today, salvation is come to this house. I'm telling you people, this is, this is stuff that makes the difference for all of eternity. We're going to stop right here. Let's stand together. I, I've, I've went a few minutes too long. I'm, I apologize. It's just maybe I'm excited about what I'm telling you. <clears throat> God is so good. Sing it with me. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. I love him so. I love him so. I love him so. You mean it, don't you? I love him so. He's so good to me. Coming for me. Coming for me. Coming for me. Coming for me. He's so good to me. Father, go with us. I don't know what the roads are like tonight, but would you protect our people? Bless them. Make them a blessing. But, oh God, let your word take root within our hearts tonight so that we might know how to serve you better. Lord, we love you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for all that you've done. And all God's people say, amen.